This is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Justin Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a really exciting show today. We're going to be covering everything from cybersecurity to Saudi Arabia to the general Middle East and probably end up on impeachment. So we got a lot to talk about. But the biggest news uh, that we're going to start with today has to do with the breaking news just in the last 24 hours in which Twitter announced that it had essentially found out some three years ago that three Saudi nationals had infiltrated uh, Twitter, become employees, and were spying for the uh, Saudi kingdom, presumably for MBS, and were spying on alleged or so-called or potential critics of the Saudi government. Apparently, these two, two in particular here in San Francisco, one back in Saudi Arabia, Saudi nationals were privy and had access to individual Twitter accounts and were able to locate names, IP addresses, and all sorts of personal information about people who were considered by the Saudi government to be negatively inclined or writing negative stories. What's even worse, Jamal, about these two uh, Twitter employees? They were paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by the Saudi, by a Saudi middleman to infiltrate Twitter. You know, in my mind, having Saudi spies in San Francisco for one of the biggest internet companies is really a big story, Jamal. Well, it's also, uh, you know, this is uh, Donald Trump's favorite platform. His favorite uh, medium, that's right. Exactly. So, so here is the details uh, here, uh, that, uh, about the story, Jess. Ali Al-Zabara was an engineer who rose through the ranks of Twitter uh, to a job that gave him access to personal information, account data, emails, social media, so, you know, millions and millions of users. That's one, that's the number one uh, spy. The other one is Ahmed Abu Ammo, uh, who was a media partnership manager at the company who could also see the email addresses and phone numbers of the Twitter accounts. So yesterday, the story, like as, as you've mentioned, is uh, breaking news, really. Uh, on Wednesday, the Justice Department accused the two men of using their positions and their access to Twitter accounts and internal systems to aid Saudi Arabia by obtaining information on American citizens and Saudi, and Saudi dissidents who oppose the policies of the kingdom and its leaders. The two men, Al-Zabara and Abu Ammo, were charged with acting as agents of a foreign power inside the United States. And this is, by the way, the first complaint of its kind uh, involving Saudis in the country. So the case, of course, says the questions about security, uh, at Twitter, at Facebook, at uh, these American technology companies who are under scrutiny for spreading this information and influencing uh, public opinions, right. showing that these firms uh, can be penetrated from within and are vulnerable. I mean, I mean, the Saudis, are, the Saudis is the latest example. We have issues also with Israeli. Asians, uh, we have issues with the Chinese and with the Russians, the Russians right? Right. So, so this one. So, so again, this underscored the uh, broad effort that the Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, otherwise known as MBS of Saudi Arabia, and his close advisors have conducted uh, all these operations to silence uh, critics, uh, both inside uh, the kingdom and abroad. And this also comes, you know, it's kind of coincides with what happened to the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, uh, who worked for the Washington Post. And That's of course, right. we know his story, we discussed the story, and his murder last year 
by Saudi agents in Istanbul. And you know, Khashoggi, of course, had a Twitter account, he had a lot of followers. So a lot of his information, his movement, etc., was always posted on Twitter. So what's the connection also with having uh, access, not just the public access, but also his uh, phone number, for example. So, right. so you could, uh, you could track, him. track him on uh, by his uh, cell phone. Right. Most people use their cell phones for Twitter accounts, etc. And at the same time, we know for a fact, this is just the internal. So this is the internal compo- component of, just of the story. Then we know for a fact that Twitter... Uh, I mean, so the Asians and bots harass critics on Twitter. All the time. On Facebook. Uh, it's, by the way, Twitter has risen to be uh, the, uh, you know, very popular platform in Saudi Arabia since the Arab Spring uprisings uh, began in 2010. Now, we're finding about this now. This is 2019, just to be clear, both Mr. Al-Zabara and uh, Mr. Abu Ammo left Twitter in 2015. Well, this is a part of the story that I think we should focus on a little bit, Jamal. The fact that, uh, and I think it's Abu Jab- uh, Al-Jabara, was confronted in 2015 by his supervisors at Twitter. In other words, he was caught. He left work that day. The next day, Jamal, he was on a one-way flight to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. So uh, there's so many components to this story that are damaging. If Twitter knew, why didn't they say anything? If this was going on for the extent that it did, why did it take four years? What has been, you know, because the Khashoggi uh, murder just happened a year ago, Jamal, and these guys were instrumental as far back as 2015. Well, actually, even earlier, 2014, because according to communications between Twitter employees, right, this started in 2014, and also just to uh, mention, in addition to Al-Zabara and uh, Abu Ammo, federal prosecutors charged Ahmed Al-Muteri, yeah, he's the third. Who previously ran a social media marketing company that did work directly for the Saudi royal family. I think he was the one that was paying these guys. He and Mr. Al-Zabara are Saudi citizens. Yeah. And Mr. Abu Amu is an American citizen, according to the complaint uh, filed by prosecutors. And by the way, the story that... Uh, that there were suspe- that the, the Twitter or uh, investigators at Twitter had suspicion about the activities of these two employees. Uh, this story was initially kind of the um, some details about the investigation was reported uh, on, uh, on the Washington Post, and the kind of I would say flew below radar. So it obviously, it flew was before a, the radar. It wasn't a big story. Nevertheless, now we have an investigation. So according to the court documents, the Saudi official who developed twi- uh, the Twitter employees, guess what, Jess? He was secretary general of a charitable organization owned by a member of the Saudi royal family. Of course. So the, the, that description pointed to the MISK Foundation, M-I-S-K Foundation, a technology-focused nonprofit organization founded by Prince Muhammad. MISC is also led by Badr al-Asakir, whose title is Secretary General. A person familiar with the case said Mr. al-Asakir is the foreign official who reached out to the Twitter employees, reached out, I would say recruited. Recruited. Basically, those Twitter employees. So it runs very deep and, and very deep in the royal family itself and MBS. Uh, well, I, wouldn't it be fair to say, Jamal, that this is part of a consistent pattern of the royal family and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia silencing its critics, undermining, undermining its critics, and tragically, in one case, assassinating, murdering, and killing one of its foremost critics. What's really damaging about this story 
which we think is important to follow here on Arab Talk, is the fact that they co-opted an American San Francisco-based uh, internet company that has international reach and, as you said in the beginning, is the medium of choice for the president of the United States. It doesn't stop at Twitter, Jamal. No, no, no. Check, check this out, uh, Jess. So Mr. Abu Amul, uh, he rose suspicion because he was checking out users' emails, phone numbers. This is according to the complaint. He later got the email addresses and phone numbers of other Saudi critics. He was, like, targeting Saudi critics, according to the complaint. And then when he came under scrutiny, he left the country and yeah. went to Saudi Arabia. The Saudi government compensated Mr. Abu Amu for his work in a series of wire transfers to him and to other members of his family. And so he created a phony or shadow, whatever you want to call it. Shell company. Shell company, limited liability company. Very smart guy, LLC, I guess. Uh, but what he's not telling and you. He, where he received $300,000 from the Saudi government. Right. And to, to just scratch a little bit more on that story, Jamal, he received $300,000. He created fake invoices for fake work that he did to kind of circumvent uh, with the IRS. But the point being, this is a huge um, uh, expose, if you will, and huge uh, kind of attack on the sovereignty of the U.S.-based internet companies to service its clients. It basically means that there are probably, not just at Facebook, but Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter, there are probably paid agents. It wouldn't be unreasonable to conclude, Jamal, that there are paid agents of multiple countries working at these agencies and, and potentially creating these security risks. I think this is a huge story. Of course. It's, it's, it's just we can talk about it for the entire hour. Of course, we're not going to talk about it for an entire hour, but there are also more details, Yes, I just like to our listeners and our viewers to be aware of. I mean, it didn't stop there, right? So this guy, Mr. Ba'amu, comes back now after he went to Saudi Arabia, he kind of... Uh, uh, he he was suspect. Twitter couldn't kind of like point the finger directly at him. They were very su suspicious of his activities. He goes back to Saudi Arabia. He's compensated. Comes back, and where does he turn in? Facebook, Amazon, Amazon. He comes back to Seattle, and this is very important. I tell you why, and w because. Connected dots with Jeff Bezos' right. latest scandal for extramarital affairs, you know. So, so he moves to Seattle for a marketing job at Amazon. Leaves the company after one year. This is according to an Amazon spokesman. Uh, when an FBI agent interviewed him in 2018, he lies to the, lied to the agent and produced false documents. The, co the complaint said, like, he, he's never been there. And the reason I mentioned this because of the Amazon thing, then um, Jeff I was Bezo looking at this older article. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Let's let's keep that in mind. Jamal Khashoggi worked for the Washington Post, so we're connecting the dots. So, uh, so Jeff Bezos, and this is this goes back to March of this year, Jess. Right. And uh, the, the security chief uh, of, uh, for Jeff Bezos, chief executive of Amazon, said that the Saudi government had access to Bezos' phone and gained private information from it. I mean, is, this, is that a coincidence? All of a sudden no. now, someone who was spying, uh, he was uh, a, a plant at Twitter embedded leaves, goes, goes to Seattle, is now connected with Amazon. And then a couple of years later, we have now an announcement by, by Amazon's chief security officer saying that the sword is hacked. Amazon, Amazon's uh, boss, Jeff Bezos' phone. And then, and, and this, is, uh, this is the guy's name. His name is Gavin De Becker, Bezos' longtime security consultant. Yeah said that he had concluded 
his investigation into the publication in January of this year of leaked text messages between Bezos and Lauren Sanchez, a former television anchor whom the U.S. National Enquirer tabloid newspaper said Bezos was dating. And this is like, this is at the time, you know, shortly before their publications, Bezos had become the subject of tabloid stories after he and his wife Mackenzie announced they were divorcing. And all of a sudden, these pictures make their way to the tabloids, the Enquirer. So, and these pictures were on his personal phone. Okay, can I just, uh, I want to add a few things as long as we're doing the deep dive. Why would the Saudis come after Jeff Bezos? One of the reasons the Saudis would come after Jeff Bezos is because he owns the Washington Post. And the Washington Post was doing its own investigation of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and were highly critical of MBS, highly critical of the Trump administration's relationship with Saudi Arabia and MBS. So the Post itself was doing its investigative reporting to expose this, this, this kind of um, uh, behavior of the Saudis infiltrating uh, and influencing major internet companies. There is, however, another issue, Jamal, that we need to add. Before, before you get to that, I just want to give our listeners the quote because you're absolutely correct. And these are the words coming out of the mouth of the Becker, who is the Jeff Bezos security consultant. This is what he said. Quoting, some Americans will be surprised to learn that the Saudi government has been very intent on harming Jeff Bezos since last October when the Post began its relentless coverage of Khashoggi's murder. That's right. So he says that this is the security consultant who investigated this. And, uh, of course, we know that the CIA has concluded that Khashoggi's murder was probably ordered by the uh, powerful uh, Crown Prince um, MBS Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, and then uh, it goes on. Uh, of course, the Saudi Arabia denies this, right? They say, despite the false and absence, uh, unsubstantiated claims of Mr. De Becker, American media has and continues to refute blah, 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 blah. This is uh, coming from this. So, there's how a, did they receive these pictures? Well, there's another story here, Jamal, which we need to let our listeners know about. Saudi Arabia, as it turns out, had purchased among the most secretive hacking software from an Israeli firm, Black Cube, that was the only uh, software that was able to monitor, crack, and decrypt WhatsApp messages. And lo and behold, when Black Cube sold this to a number of states, uh, they know and knew that they were selling this to bad actor states who were using it to spy and ultimately harm and in some cases kill uh, opposition leaders. So there's another angle to this. Of course, the Israelis are involved in this. The Israelis sold the software to the Saudis who used that software to come after Jamal Khashoggi. And I'm just speculating, Jamal, so I have no proof for this. None whatsoever, but there may be a link to how the Saudis were able to also crack Jeff Bezos's phone. Now, Jeff Bezos is the second wealthiest, if not the wealthiest person in the world, depending on Amazon stock. He has the highest security for to be cracked and to be uh, hacked in this way. It's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. And then it also goes uh, deeper into this just because before this, Amazon... And Saudi Arabia looked like the perfect partners. I mean, look at it. Just go back to 2018, a year before. Both had ambitions to become uh, the most prominent players in the global economy. The world's biggest store and the world's second biggest oil producer moved aggressively in the past few years toward a $1 billion deal to build Amazon data centers in Saudi Arabia. Oops. Yep. Oops. And there was supposed to have, or supposed to happen, a major conference to announce this partnership between MBS and Jeff Bezos. 
So guess who was no show? Well, Jeff Bezos completely shut it down. So, so this is the crazy thing about it because of this whole thing. I mean, they screwed up big time Saudi Arabia MBS by killing Jamal Khashoggi, kind of like, and, and of course, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. And for the Washington Post to aggressively pursue the story, the story they had a $1 billion, just this is actually the seed money, Right. Deal. And not only this, but also Amazon uh, was supposed to have its cloud uh, services. Servers, yeah. Servers and whatever. They had also another deal. Right. To make it access, uh, to, get, uh, to provide access to, you know, the Saudi government. They canceled that deal as well. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, this should help our listeners understand the broad reach of how other countries infiltrate uh, the United States, infiltrate digital companies, infiltrate what are supposed to be, you know, secure communications, whether it's Facebook, which is not secure, Twitter, which clearly is not secure, and other media, Jamal. We, this is, you know, this dovetails on what happened during the 2016 and the Russian uh, influence campaign and bot campaign using Facebook and Twitter to uh, influence the elections of 2016. So the take-home message is it's not just Russia. Saudi Arabia is a big player. And then behind the scenes selling the software, we have to look at the Israelis. This story, Jamal, is going Which, to... by the way, the software and the Israelis and Black Cube... You also can connect it to the Epstein. Right. You could connect it to Weinstein. They were used to spy and intimidate right. the accusers. Same. Same same connection in a way, in a different way. But like I said, this is, I mean, the more you read about it, I've been like reading about it for the past three days. It gets worse. It gets worse because first, you know, you see the Khashoggi connection, you see the Twitter connection, you see the work at Amazon, you see the partnership between the kingdom and Amazon, which would have looked like I said, everybody was like drooling over this deal. They were going to give them access to their cloud services. They were going to give them access, uh, basically start setting up, uh, I guess, many Amazon servers, servers and, centers. and centers right in Saudi Arabia. And this all got jeopardized because of the murder of Khashoggi. And then they turned their attention to Jeff Bezos. I mean, this is like, I would say, you know, of course, this is like at the state level, but it's almost also like the mafia because they were shaking Jeff Bezos, basically. They were. Blackmailing him. They were trying to blackmail you know, him. Like, exactly. You're going to pursue Khashoggi. We're going to put all these uh, emails and pictures of you and your uh, lover, you know, and publish them on the National Enquirer. Well, I have to give Bezos some credit, even though he's a very po problematic figure. He refused to be extorted. He refused to be shaken down. Those pictures and those emails were, in fact, published in the National Enquirer, and they were published, you know, in other places. The Washington Post never backed down. Jeff Bezos never backed down. So, you know, he, credit where credit is due. You, you know, Saudi Arabia, Jamal, just, I want to just change it just a small bit, was also in the news this week. The United States Congress, you know, both the Senate and the House, passed a resolution saying that they didn't want any more U.S. military assistance going to Saudi Arabia for the complete and utter destruction of Yemen. So last week, we found out that there was a secret shipment of military, U.S. military arms again to Saudi Arabia to help service the brutal, uh, catastrophic uh, murder of, uh, of people in Yemen and the destruction of infrastructure in Yemen. This story got nowhere, Jamal. No one is reporting this story. No one's talking about the story that the Trump administration continues to fly in the face of the House. And let's just say, Jamal, Democrats and Republicans both saying, we don't want you to send arms to Saudi Arabia anymore. And guess where the U.S. was sending arms last week in a secret uh, flight to Saudi Arabia. All these uh, weaponry to continue this kind of 
human disaster, this kind of utterly disastrous, catastrophic uh, murder and destruction in Yemen. It's still going on. Well, I mean, look, it's very clear. Donald Trump made it very clear that uh, he is not going to throw Saudi Arabia under the bus. No. Even during the height of the investigation of he denied the murder it. Yeah, of he Khashoggi, denied it. he's not going to stop uh, partnering with Saudi Arabia. After all, when he went to visit Saudi Arabia, he came back with billions of dollars. Uh, Saudi Arabia is a strategic partner. Saudi Arabia spends hundreds of millions of dollars buying weapons from the United States. Saudi Arabia has oil. And now Aramco, by the way, IPO, IPO right. is going public. And I guarantee you, U.S. companies and investors are going to pour millions of dollars. Billions. Billions of dollars yeah. there. So it's very clear. Like to me, it's the parallel of to Israel. They cannot do anything wrong. I mean, they'll try to. And oh, and by the way, it's not like Donald Tr Donald Trump loves the Washington Post and Jeff Bezos. No. So, so why go uh, why go against them? And they are trying to destroy his enemy, Jeff Bezos, and destroy the Washington Post. All because I mean, do you think Donald Trump cares about the human human rights and the violations and what's happening to the people in Yemen? No, Je I mean, Donald Trump was actively critical of Jeff Bezos, actively critical of Amazon, tried on many occasions, we forget about this, to undermine some of the business dealings of Amazon, completely trashed on Twitter, the Washington Post on multiple occasions. So all of these, what, what seem to be strange bedfellows, are, re are really just strategic individual partnerships, not among states, Jamal. We're talking about individual relationships between Donald Trump, MBS, and, and some of these other actors. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. And I want to also welcome our viewers on Facebook Live, which bring me to the, to the subject to Facebook, because I think this is also this, it's connected the influence of foreign powers, not only governments. We've seen, uh, like, I, I just tell you one thing, like on Facebook, Facebook throttles any information about Palestine. Don't this get is, me started. This They've been is, doing that for years. This is, uh, I can say, I'm an eyewitness of this because, or I'm not eyewitness, I actually experience it. You're a, you're a target. So whenever we have, and then the other thing, why I'm making this connection, because Facebook took down a video that I posted about this Saudi clown, that's what I said, described him, which is, you know. The one went, in Jerusalem? The one who went on a propaganda tour to Jerusalem right. and irritated the people there. And they were really angry, angered uh, by him, by his presence there. And it had actually over 22 million views on Facebook. And then Facebook took it down. I wonder now, why. I can guarantee you it wasn't a complaint that they received by one person or two people from Saudi Arabia. It had the writing of the Saudi government. Of course. The Saudi government. And that's how they succumb. To the pressures by they, they succumb to the pressures by Israel. We know that for a fact because they've targeted also, like I said, Palestinian sites. Now, so the, the, the Saudis complain about something. They also succumb to them, and also on Twitter itself recently they shut down Al Quds. It's a news um, a site from uh, Jerusalem. Al Quds, not Al Quds Al Arabi. No, no, Al Quds. Al Quds News. Yeah, Al Quds uh, there's news. an article about it. You could find an article about it on Electronic Intifada. But basically, this I think they had at least over million followers uh, pro provided real-time coverage of what's going on on the ground and then they it just boom shut its account totally took it down and then who do you think complained about it well absolutely Jamal we know who complained about it the government of Israel complained about it just like MBS directly calls you know to uh, Mark Zuckerberg and says we want you to shut down this video that's getting 22 million, you know, hits about a critic of Saudi Arabia. I mean, let's be real. These giant internet firms are willing to sell their souls, if not the personal data of their subscribers, to any state actor, 
And they, it's been demonstrated time and time again that the, I mean, when you see Mark Zuckerberg going to Congress and going to D.C. and saying that he really cares about privacy and protection of individual u- users, nobody believes you anymore, Mark. No one believes that Facebook is there to save and secure and take care of its individual subscribers. It's clear that it's... Well, they've already admitted that they have actually uh, had been hacked and the uh, information about subscribers, right. millions but, of them. But they just admitted yesterday, or at least there was an expose yesterday, Jamal, that said that Facebook was giving away private user data to the highest bidder. Unfortunately, this comes back to Amazon, that Amazon was actually paying and having access to private user data on Facebook for a price. So basically, contrary to what Mark Zuckerberg has been saying and Sheryl Sandberg has been saying, your private data from Facebook is for sale to the highest bidder. And, you know, if you believe otherwise, you're living in a fantasy world to think that your Facebook account, your Twitter account, your WhatsApp account, your Instagram account, whatever your social digital media is for sale, guaranteed. You're listening to Arab Talk here on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is uh, Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We're broadcasting on Facebook Live. And Jamal, just to bring it home, they have throttled Arab Talk on Facebook Live, too. They did. They did. So, I mean, we might as well call it what it is. We have been throttled on multiple occasions from the distribution of Arab Talk on Facebook Live. Uh, we'll continue to air this, this story. We'll be continue to follow all the story about how bad state actors are using these social media giants to target their opponents. So, um, but anyways, we're going to follow this story. Absolutely. I mean, we have to follow it. And this thread to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi is, it has uh, ripple effects through almost everything. We're going to get more information. We will. It's just like really, you know, just got to keep digging deeper into it and then you'll find more and more information. Just like we're finding out even more information after the death of Epstein, just like... uh, you know, a couple of days ago, we had new new revelations about... Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, about him. So it's it's not going to go away. Well, uh, the few stories uh, I've been I've been following, Jess, uh, we're shifting uh, gear here. Are we domestic or international? Yeah, this is uh, domestic and international, but I think, I, th- I thought this was very interesting because, uh, you know, uh, we discussed this about uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, and how especially Rashida Tlaib was denied uh, entry oh, that's uh, right. to Israel when right. she wanted to, t- to take with her a congressional delegation to Palestine. to Palestine to see, to have them eyewitness what's going on and come back and report to the rest of Congress. Well, guess what? There was another delegation, and this delegation, I don't know who sponsored it, could have been APAC or somebody else, I have to dig deeper, or could be another organization, which uh, excluded, of course, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and, Ilhan Omar and others, and yes. had other representatives. And one of the representatives who was uh, on this trip is Representative Andy Levin uh, from your home state of Michigan. Of Michigan. Yes. So he was there, and he got to meet with Israeli officials and wanted to go to also to see with his own eyes, what's going on uh, in the West Bank. He he didn't go to Gaza, but he managed to go to the West Bank. So he started uh, reporting on this through Twitter. See, this is is how powerful Twitter is, Jess. That's what I mean. You know, like everyone uses Twitter, from the President of the United States to, to members of Congress to journalists and so forth. And he started to report on it. And, the, and then he started with this tweet. And, of course, um, you know, Andy Levin, he's uh, also uh, worth mentioning that he's uh, also Jewish-American congressman. Right. Uh, and then his first tweet said, yesterday, I traveled to the southern West Bank, including the Palestinian village of Susia, which I've been there many times, which the Israeli government has destroyed twice 
and currently denies access to water. Wait, this is from this is from Congressman Levin. Congressman Levin is tweeting about this. Yeah, and so. Boom, bombshell. The Israeli the government, government likes to have you come to this Hasbara tour is, and go back and say Israel is the, the only democracy in the Middle East. Right. They have the most moral army. And this congressman, he goes, he started his trip by being neutral, really. Just like, like let me see what's going on with my own eyes. That was his first tweet. And then you should see the storm that followed on Twitter. Right. You know, you could actually look at it if you go to his Twitter page. It's uh, uh, at Rep Andy Levin, and you go, he'll go to that tweet. And then he goes on. He says, when people start like replying to him, he said, "Yet we watch the government utility right before our eyes, lay in pipes right across the villages' land to deliver tap water to an illegal Israeli outpost nearby." Representative Levin said that? Yeah, he's going, and this wow. is just a day ago. Then he goes on, right? Wow. They're basically cut, shutting off water on a Palestinian village, destroying it for the second time, running water. If we, I mean, he doesn't, didn't use the word apartheid. Well, he described saying, it. He's describing it. He he's describing he's saying apartheid. They're, they're destroying the village. They're basically cutting off water on it. And then they're running water Pipes. lines to an illegal settlement. He doesn't stop there. And then he goes on. It was simply incredible. As angry as the situation made me, the resilience of the Palestinian villagers left an even stronger impression. Wow. So those three tweets... And, and again, I mean, this is someone who was allowed in, his Jewish-American, his Jewish-American congressman. He's from the same state of... Michigan. M Michigan, which is the same state of uh, Rashida, Rashida Tlaib, who was denied because of her, her Palestinian roots to visit her grandmother. Right. He was allowed in, and he saw with his own eyes the atrocities, and I'm so proud of him that he came back and just said it the way it is. That's impressive. And, and so kind of like blew off this whole facade that Israel tries to create by inviting these congressmen and congresswomen on these paid trips to go back and report to say that Israel is the victim and, and they're just fantastic. Let me ask you, Jamal, I'm curious, did the uh, Hasbara machine, do you have any of the tweets from the Israeli Hasbara machine? Oh, yeah, yeah, because you can go to it and see it, but actually he had a lot of support. I mean, I, I can go there and say thank you for sharing the truth. People are saying, you know, from all over the country, uh, thank you for going to Palestine. It's really good that you were witnessing what you have, etc., etc., etc. And but also he created this internal storm within APAC that uh, you know, uh, and even J Street because J Street also had recently a conference. Right. And even though they came for the very first time, J Street, they they did not follow the rules. They had people like you know, like instead of just saying we need to support Israel, they had people. Uh, um, during the conference say that we should hold Israel accountable. accountable. Right. And also we've heard now from Bernie Sanders saying that we must, you know, if Israel continues on this path, maybe we should cut aid to Israel and pass some of this aid to the, to the starving people in Gaza. And I'm right. paraphrasing. Right. So there, ha there is a major shift, I would say. No, I think a that's... A major shift uh, within... Uh, the Democratic Party. Well, some parts of the Democratic some Party. Some parts. I mean, some parts, but the, uh, that I think it cannot be ignored. And then no. when you have someone like, you know, a very credible person like and, uh, Andy Levin go there, see with his own eyes, reports the truth, is not afraid. This is the thing. He was not afraid. To tell the truth. To tell the truth. Right. And did not care about retaliation by APAC, because APAC is the organization behind, you know, muzzling the truth, and anyone who kind of, we know that, you know, just read Congressman uh, Findley's 
uh, book, right. uh, former, uh, uh, he's deceased now, uh, Congressman Findlay wrote right. a book called they, they, they Dare to Speak. Right, They Dare to Speak. And he documented this way back, I think, in the 80s. Yeah, it was in the was, 80s. Was this book. But basically talking about the power of APAC, that when he himself, who was very neutral and started to talk, say the truth about what's happening in Palestine and question USAID to He got to voted Israel, out. He got yeah, kicked out, basically. So listen, two stories really quick. We'll come back to this one. It's not fair to say the Democratic Party has shifted, Jamal. Some elements of the Democratic Party have shifted. The more progressive wing of the Democratic Party has shifted, and that has trickled down to Bernie Sanders, and now I would say to Elizabeth Warren, who are able to say things like, we need to hold Israel accountable, things like that. But we're not quite there yet to say the broader Democratic Party, because you still have the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party, which includes Joe Biden, who are very much, you know, haven't changed when it comes to their unflagging, uncritical, unaccountable support for Israel. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah, but these were tabooed subjects and uh, red lines that uh, are getting crossed yeah, but time we, and time again. But we remember what happened last time in the 2016 election when, the question, when, when, when on the uh, Democratic Convention, Jabal, where so many people were shut down because of the resolution they wanted to pass to basically criticize Israel and try to hold them accountable. We'll see what happens in 2020. Speaking of Israel and American citizens, Jamal, we need to mention the story of Omar Shakur. Omar Shakur is, uh, I, I think he's the area representative for Human Rights Watch. They have an office in the occupied, right. uh, in occupied Palestine. Omar Shakar is uh, an attorney. He works for Human Rights Watch. They are the ones that document human rights violations. And just to be fair, Jamal, they document human rights violations either by the Israelis or the Palestinian Authority. So they're, in, they're, they're pretty much an equal opportunity NGO. That's right. Omar Shakur has gotten tremendous amount of um, respect and prestige all over the world because of his work in occupied Palestine. The Israelis were looking for a way, as you know, to get him removed from his job at Human Rights Watch. So what did they do? They dug up some tweets from 2007, maybe a little bit later, maybe a few years after that, where he was saying things about holding Israel accountable and using BDS as a way to hold Israel accountable because it's nonviolent, it's political, so on and so forth. Well, guess what? Using the new law, the Israeli government decided to see if they could ban Omar Shakar, an American citizen with a legitimate work visa, and ban him and basically deport him. Well, uh, on Tuesday, just the Israeli Supreme Court ordered Human Rights Watch, basically, uh, and their, their representative, by the way, Omar Shakir, to leave the country within a maximum of 20 days. So he has been notified since uh, Tuesday that he had 20 he's days. He's deported. To leave the country. Well, they, they told him on Tuesday he had 20 days to leave. And then what happened? What did happen? Well, I mean, they've <laughs> put an order of deportation. No, that's what I mean. They are going to deport him. They are, this went up to the Supreme Court. So this is the Israeli Supreme Court. Omar Shakir had great Israeli attorneys actually trying to defend his right to remain on a legitimate, valid work visa, you know, working in occupied Palestine. The Human Rights Watch has an office. I believe they have an office in Tel Aviv as well as in Ramallah Jamal. The point being is that this was working its way up through the Israeli judicial system. It finally got to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court and said, you can actually deport this person despite his legal right to be here. Well, the main accusation they He's had— He's a BDS supporter. Exactly. They said that— uh, 
that uh, that he had been active for years in the BDS movement, which is not true, and actively supported boycotting Israel. That's kind of the, you know. Uh, the but top. you know what they actually said, Jamal? They said he was one of the international leaders of the BDS movement, which is complete rubbish, a complete fabrication. This is the the accusation that the Israeli government levels against all of the supporters. If what the Israelis are saying is accurate, then there must be millions of leaders of the BDS movement because Omar Shakur was really no different than any other um, person of conscience who believed in nonviolent confrontation of Israeli apartheid and believed, just like they did in South Africa, that you could use BDS to help hold the Israeli government accountable for its human rights violations. But Jamal, that happened... These tweets are over 10 years old. Well, I mean, regardless, I mean, this is the thing is, you know, Israel and its supporters, they have to kind of make up their mind. Is Israel a democracy or it's not? Well, I mean, if you're deporting people because of something they said 10 years or ago. tweeted. Yeah, 10 years ago. Or they don't agree with the military occupation of Israel of the West Bank and the inhumane siege of Gaza, then you are, the, you cannot, not only, you cannot enter the country for many of you're them. You're going to get deported. You, you're going to get deported. Or you won't be allowed to come in. Exactly. So, so this is, even, even if you read the Israeli media, and not all of it, stay away from, I would say, the Sheldon Adelson media. Right. You know, you'll find a lot of debate people, Israelis, contesting and saying this is ridiculous. This is, if you're going to start kicking out of the country human rights organizations, getting rid of, Israel does not want UNRWA. They don't want the United Nations refugee. But Human Rights Watch is different. There. They don't want Human Rights Watch. Yeah. They don't want uh, 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 like CP, CPJ Committee to protect journalists, basically. Right. They don't want anyone to keep a tab on its uh, violations, international uh, law violations. What good it is? I mean, who else do they want to keep well, I in hope, the country? I hope Andy Levin is listening to Arab Talk, Jamal, because what I'm hoping Congressman Andy Levin from my home state of Michigan, the great state of Michigan, will do is continue to tweeting the truth, number one. But I hope he takes another trip to uh, occupied Palestine, goes to, the, goes to the West Bank, goes see if he can get into Gaza. Because his voice will, will be able to be heard in ways that Ilhan Omar's will not, well, Rashida I mean, Tlaib's I mean, will look, not. Just any decent human being that I have spoken to or I have met by coincidence who's been there who's been there and went the there thing. even with a with a whole wrong impression or even a neutral impression and saw the truth with his own eyes they came to the same conclusion they come to the same conclusion. always they never will come, and that, and this is what israel is afraid of israel does not want to have any person with strong moral convictions any person who respects human rights and dignity to visit the West Bank and see with his or her own eyes the facts on the ground, that they themselves, even from within, I say from within the Israeli society, some of them are saying enough. Well, We're seeing the effects of the occupation. But, that, but the Israeli government doesn't care about Israeli citizens living there. No, they want the what surrogates they, right here in the United States exactly. to keep writing, to keep forcing and coercing the U.S. taxpayer to keep writing that check. Exactly. That's all what they care about. So, by the way, Jamal, what we're seeing, this is the real reason why people are rebelling against Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, because Elizabeth Warren's stance on Palestine is maybe not as not as strong as Bernie Sanders, but it's very, very strong. It has been shifting. It's been shifting, you know, or to evolving, evolving to her credit. 
Is it a surprise that everybody is now attacking Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders? They want the establishment because Joe Biden. Oh, Joe Biden. And I'm not making yet. We're not going to. This is Arab talk. We don't make endorsements on the air. But don't say it. We, don't, we can't. We can't we endorse. Can't, but I'm just telling you. Uh, Joe Biden, his record on Israel is terrible. On, not on Israel, on Palestinian human rights. Terrible. It's terrible. No. You just look at every statement that he said and every, uh, you know, he bragged of being a basically a Zionist. I mean, he just said that you don't have to be Jewish, Jewish to, to, be, be a to be a Zionist. Zionist. Like, yeah, he, he wants to be more Zionist than the Zionists. Basically. And support the occupation, support oppression. And then play this uh, smokes and smoke and mirrors and right. say we support the two-state solution, which I mean, he this doesn't. Is, this is no, he does. He does support. But the, the Israeli view you know, of the two-state yeah, solution. Yeah, but their own exactly Netanyahu's interpretation. The apartheid solution of of that. And, and but but uh, here's the problem, Jamal. Is that about? Here's the problem. The democratic the the Israeli. Uh, uh, APAC and the Israeli surrogates here and their bots and their social media operation and their Hasbara machine, they did this in 2008. They did it in 2012. They did it in 2016. They will divide the Democratic Party on this question because they don't care. They don't and care if the Democratic Party implodes. Implodes as long as they have someone in the White House who supports the 100%. occupation. 100%. So Don then Donald Trump is their man. Of course. That's what I'm saying, Jamal. I'm sorry we're going to end this show with my ongoing prediction, unfortunately, which is, look ah, my ears <laughs> which right is turning out to be truer and truer that Donald Trump is going to win. Okay, I'm going to challenge you on this, and I'm going to say he's not. <laughs> Okay. So let's make the $1 bet. We can't bet an amount of money, but we'll one coffee bet. One coffee bet. That uh, you're saying Donald Trump is going to win, and I say I don't think so. Okay. And on that uh, breaking news here from Arab Talk, we thank you for joining us here on Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM here in beautiful San Francisco. We're also streaming live on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani 2. You can get all of our shows, all of our podcasts at ArabTalkRadio.com. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.